Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and it's an exciting day. We're in Manhattan, and I'm with my friend Brian. Brian, formerly known as Crackhead Lawyer. Brian, the <laughs> former Crackhead Lawyer. What episode number are you on? Do you remember? Oh, 107, I think? Of episode 107, to very big critical raves. Oh, yeah? Raves. Yeah. And we don't get that many raves, but people really enjoyed your episode. They said it was a mix of funny, smart, and still it tugged on the uh, heartstrings. Yeah, and devastatingly tragic. Yes, but yeah. the, the Dopey Nation eats that stuff yeah, up. that's right. So today's a huge day in the history of Dopey in that an article about us came out in Vice today. Yeah, I know. It's kind of intense. Did you read it? Of course I read it. Were you amazed? It scared the shit out of me. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually impressed. And you know, also it's sad. It was a sad piece. Mm. Yeah. It's so sad. I was, I'm, like, it's, I'm so excited that it came out. But at the same time, when I read the piece... Like, the woman who did it, her name is Emily uh, Sullivan. She's going to come on the show in a minute. Um, she she had called me up to... Uh, she wanted to come on Dopey to tell her story. She's a recovering heroin addict. She and contacted you because of, of listening to the show, or did you know her before? I never met her. Oh. She knew about the show. Yeah. I guess she listened to the show, and she contacted me to be a guest on the show. And then um, I was like, well... Why don't you write a piece about us? Because nobody wrote a piece about Chris dying. Yeah. You know, and it's like we're a recovery podcast and the host had four years clean and, yeah. or four and a half or however many years he had and he died. And uh, I just thought it was an incredibly fucking compelling story that yeah. should be told. And she was like, I'll tell it. And I was like, you could come on the show to interview me. Is what I said, and it would be a very Howard Stern move, where you have the the, the, the journalist on the show to interview the. Yeah. I always love that move. I had somebody else come on to it's, do that. I was in rehab, and they used to call it scam boogie. We've always got like nine angles on everything. Right. Yeah. That's what that, that is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so then she never came on the show because I'm in this like kind of amateurish beef or feud with vice but we're going to get back to that later uh vice nice article thank you very much biting the hand that feeds coming later um but when i read the article and i read about uh me and chris and like where we started and it's just like i i i felt like i was gonna cry like i felt that feeling i didn't cry but it's like like, I think about Chris being dead every day, and I think about my friend Todd being dead every day. And you said you just lost lost some friends, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it's exactly what happens in the rooms, and it's just kind of... It's not what you want to see happen, like, on a scale where everyone's, like, watching or listening, but that's what happens. You talk to somebody one day, they're fine, you think they're great, and then you go to a meeting and you hear they're dead. I mean, it happens all the time. I know. It's In our case... I just, it's like, and everybody probably says the same thing, that they thought they knew, and they didn't worry, and, like, I, like, had a room in Chris's brain, as far as I could tell, and I never fucking knew. But let's, Emily has to go to her class soon, so let's call Emily now, and we can thank her, and we can see what she has to say. She really killed it. It's a great piece. All right, hold on. Here we go. I don't think she... I think I have to warn you. I don't think she listened to the episode you were on. Because she said, oh, who's going to be on the show? And I was like, oh, the dude, uh, the crackhead lawyer. She was like, who? <laughs> so here we go. hard not to take that personal. Don't take it personal. But she crammed a lot of dopey in in a short time. <laughs> She's dope sick. 
We'll find out. <laughs> oh, shit. Hello? Emily. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. You're on the show with Brian, a.k.a. the crackhead lawyer. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Hi, Emily. Nice piece. My God. Oh, thank you so much. Really, really, really good. Really moving. Oh, thank you. I was a nervous wreck about it, but I, I think it turned out really good. Yeah, it really did. It was Thank awesome. You so much. And um I that. and and from what I understand, you wrote the piece about Dopey and offers are just flooding in already. Correct? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, one offer, but still it, it was a a huge deal. I mean, I I had kind of like daydreamed about that happening maybe sometime in my life, but uh-huh. yeah, this morning I um checked my email and I had a an email from a book agent in New York. And did it say, I cannot believe how amazing that podcast you wrote about seems. <laughs> you seem to have captured it nicely. Will you write us a book? What did it say? Um, well, no, it didn't say that. Sorry, oh, Dave. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it said that, you know, he followed me on Vice and, and liked the pieces that I wrote and that kind of deal. So, and that I should give him a call. That's fucking so exciting. I'm very happy for you. And I'm glad that we could uh, sort of help facilitate something Good, you know, not to mention that you get to write a piece for Vice. And, and you know, the Dopey Nation is an incredibly rabid, <laughs> grateful bunch. So it's cool, like, to be able to cater to them, I think. Yeah, I know. That was part of the reason why I was nervous, too, because I was like, man, if I don't do this right, Dopey Nation's going to come after me. <laughs> but they seem to really like it, right? Yeah, everybody seems pleased. I've gotten a lot of nice comments and... Uh, Vice has a bunch of retweets already. I think Vice US will pick it up soon, too. Because I always go through Vice Canada first, and then all the other Vices pick it up. I'm so sp- it'll probably be translated, you know, to Vice Quebec and everywhere else. I'm afraid, and Vice Quebec would be translated into French, right? Um, yes, I believe so. <laughs> right on. Um, <laughs> fucking... Uh, <laughs> I'm nervous that my feud is going to cost us Vice U.S. Could it possibly? No, and you know what? I almost, so I almost sent them um, a little email saying, like, include their Twitter at the bottom of the thing. But then I went and I looked at your Twitter, and I was like, mm, maybe I shouldn't do that. Because what if they go look at your Twitter, and then they're like, what is this? I mean, I don't think that they would do that, but I didn't want to risk it because I feel like we were already nervous, like, leading up to it, like, what's going to happen? You mean all the anti-vice propaganda that I've tweeted in the past? Yeah, yes. I just want to say <laughs> that Vice is an, has done a great job in printing this amazing story about our amazing podcast. So cheers <laughs> to you guys, Vice. It's a feud with a little <laughs> F. It's a they few- seem to really like it. I, I got an email from the editor this morning. It was like, hey, really nice job on this one. Pitch me again soon. So I think they really liked it. Fucking cool. So tell us your, a little bit about your story, Emily. How did you, first of all, how did you find out about our stupid podcast? Okay, well, I <laughs> found out originally because I'm always searching Twitter for anything drug-related. So I'll type in, like, you know, hashtag dope or at dope and see what comes up when I'm trying to tag people when I'm doing research for a piece or something. And that's how I came across Dopey. And... You know, I followed you guys, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something, but I I wasn't keeping up. I wasn't listening to the podcast as much as I should have been. Mm. And then 
I wrote <laughs> I, I wrote a piece for Vice and this was like right after you guys started having your little feud. And I think one of the people from those from Dopey Nation um, commented on my piece and was like, you know, this sounds like an episode of Dopey. And like I was, you know, like ripping you guys off or something. Wow. And so, yeah, so then I, I, that's when I reached out to you and was like, hey, you should have me on the show. And then you were like, hey, you should write about me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was a, what, a, what a perfect symiotic relation. That's symbiosis, right, Brian? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's Don't ask me about science. You know about it's it. It's been a no, sweet little collab, I would say. No, for real. And, and the, the funny other thing is, like, how much you've had to uh, immerse yourself in dopey-dumb, correct? <laughs> okay, no, literally my life has been nothing but dopey for the last three weeks. I, I mean, to the point where, like, I talk about it so much that people are like, okay. Like, I think <laughs> like, the word for that I'm is dopey. Like, I think I this story. I heard it earlier today when I was listening to dopey. And, like, I feel like my fiancé knows your guys' like, entire life story at this point. And I think the term for that is dope-tastic, if you're looking for a term. <laughs> you, you got- I have. Well, I, I wanted to get the story right and the tone right, and so I did. I totally immersed myself in the podcast, and I read all of Chris's articles, and I watched um, I watched your... The thing, yes. The thing that you sent me. No, it was fun, though. It was a good thing to be immersed in. I know. You know it, wasn't, it wasn't like homework. It was really fun, so I didn't mind it. It was and- pretty awesome. And I think that your uh, the the story really it got a lot of people very choked up. It choked me up um, mm. because mm. I really felt you really captured our humble beginnings and you captured uh, our vibe mm. and how we wanted to be seen. Like we never like wanted it. We never wanted to be. I mean, we wanted to be big and we wanted it to be successful, but we wanted it to be scrubby and sweet. And, like, for the people, you know what I mean? And I think you really captured that nicely, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I tried. You know, I got choked up when I was writing it. I got really sad. There were certain parts where I had to, like, take a pause and walk around my house and go have a cup of coffee just because I got really sad. Right. And I wanted to do a good job so badly. I felt like, you know, no pressure. I've never written something like that where I felt like I owed it to the piece to do a good job and represent mm. you guys well and talk about Chris's death in a way that that would have the effect it did, I guess. What what made what was the most like thing? It was just what about it really affected you emotionally when you got into it? Like what what was it? Just or just the whole thing? Well. I mean, I think I've always, I mean, obviously I'm an addict myself, so, um, I've always taken it really hard when, when I hear about overdose deaths, mm. even like celebrities, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman or there was this, this Corey Monteith from Glee. I was so sad over him forever. And then when I saw on your Twitter that Chris had passed away and I started listening to the podcast again all the time and yeah. I would just get so sad over it. It just... And Chris is so clearly brilliant. You know, it's just fun listening to him talk and his vocabulary. And just, he's he's a lot of fun to listen to. And it just seems like such a, a shame. And it's easy to get emotionally attached and feel mm. a lot of sadness over that. Yeah, definitely. Chris was a, a one in a, a billion type. He was just like, you know, anybody who listened to the show 
knows what he was like and uh you know he'll it'll never be uh what it was without him and I miss him as a, obviously as my friend and I'm still super very angry about it but um yeah I mean there is no uh, replacing that but tell us about um a little about your story and like why you started looking up hashtag #dope in the first place Okay so I started well I mean I I started drinking and doing recreational drugs Recreational, I mean, like, coke and ecstasy and mushrooms and stuff like that. When I was a teenager... It was the deep end of the recreational <laughs> yeah, pool. That's not the kiddie pool. <laughs> is, that, is that not recreational? Is that, like, just... Of course, it's recreational. I mean, for all, I mean, sure. I, I mean, anything is recreational, but I just think it's funny because most people are like, I smoked a little weed. And, That's what I thought she was going to say. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, yeah, I don't know. That was my recreational drug usage. <laughs> That's what I refer to as the recreational period because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this daily, all day maintenance and it wasn't anything like injecting at that point. You know, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it didn't yeah. seem too hardcore, like out of control at that point. Relatively So I was speaking. like, oh, everybody does this stuff, right? You know? Yeah. So then uh, my early 20s, um, I. All the people I hung out with started getting into some bad stuff, and then um, then my dad died, and I started drinking all the time, and then I was just, like, not – I was never saying no to things, you know? Like, <laughs> when anybody would offer me something, I would just be like, okay, all right, why not? Let's try that, sure. And um, that's how I started doing heroin, and I shot up heroin – for a few years I ended up uh, shooting up meth mm. and then I was hooked on heroin and meth every day did you call that goofballing you know I don't know what to call it because I heard you guys talking about it on the podcast and you were trying to figure out what to call it and I, I couldn't remember no dopey dopey nation members say it's goofballing yeah the speedballing with coke and then goofballing with meth you've heard of it oh yeah I mean I just called it shooting up Heroin and meth. So See, I don't she's know. a purist. See, I respect that because you can't. I, I would. I would always say that I was doing speedballs with meth, but I think. You know. I think you're being a say. I shot up meth and, and heroin, and what, what was the ratio you would do? Okay, because I think the distinction here is that I didn't really do it in the same shot. I would do it in separate shots. Ah, that is a distinction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I think I made a cocktail a handful of times, but. Mostly, I just did it separately. I mean, in the same day, I would like, but I really liked shooting up. I had a weird needle romance thing. Obvious. Yeah, obvious. I remember like <laughs> trying to shoot up water when I was, you know, wow. trying to stay clean at one point because I just missed shooting up so much. That was, that was something that me and Chris always laughed about. On the opioid Reddit, there would be video of uh, people shooting up water. And I remember <laughs> Chris had just, he had four years clean and we had just started. And I was like, maybe you should do a video for Dopey where you shoot up water. Oh and, my God. Uh, and we both were like, actually, no, that's, that's not a not good idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's like super triggering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was his. I remember like he was four years clean or four and a half years clean. And we were had done Dopey for like six months. And, and Chris's recovery always stre- seemed just incredibly strong to me until that stupid stupid opioid subreddit popped into his life and he was really? just like he would be like he thought it was super triggery because it's every have you ever seen the opioid subreddit no no but i can imagine because once you see like the 
the red blood infusion into the yes. white liquid, it's like, oh. Yeah, Chris was <laughs> I, really I into that. Brian, did you shoot up at all? Uh, not, it was never my first choice, but I did. Right. So Yeah, you, I remember my doctor telling me that I had a needle romance. And I really liked that phrase. I was like, okay. Needle romance. And what, what yeah. ended the needle romance? You know, it's so weird because I've always been terrified of getting shots too like i will still cry if the doctor wants to give me a shot in my arm or something really but if i yeah how does I don't that like that at all <laughs> even the thought of that makes my knees hurt or like a shot in the butt oh my god that hurts so bad. i can't even i can't even think about it or my knees hurt wow wow it makes no sense i know maybe i mean did you ever offer to do it for him <laughs> Yes, yeah. I've done. <laughs> yes, but okay. It's but I've offered to draw my own blood, not give myself a shot. Right. To clarify, because yeah, yeah. there's a difference. I don't know why. It's just shots hurt and they're creepy, and I don't know. Yeah. But I, they're rarely doing intravenous shots, though. They're doing intramuscular shots, whereas you taking exactly. blood. Yeah, yeah, it's different. I understand that. It's totally different. I think every IV drug user has suggested to the doctor or nurse that you could get the blood quicker than they can i think that's a that's like a, a telling thing in iv drug people um yeah. so so what ended your needle exchange a look when you say yeah they're like oh what the, the fuck is, like, yeah, yeah what the fuck is wrong with you look. they start writing in their chart yeah <laughs> well i you know i collapsed pretty much all of my veins and my arms wow. and um for a while if i had to go to the doctor's and get my blood drawn. I mean, they would sit there forever and try to find a vein. And I'd finally be like, please, I got this. Let me do 20 push-ups. You know? Right. Can you still, do you still do 20 push-ups at a time? Yeah. Nice. Brian, you do 20 push-ups? I don't do push-ups. I haven't done push-ups in a long time. I got to get back in shape, Emily. Jesus Christ. I'm falling apart over here. Um, I go through phases. I'll be really disciplined for a month. And then the next month, I just sit on the couch all month. So... Um, what was the end of the needle romance? Um, I mean, I don't know that it ever ended. I just moved on. I don't think there was ever a point where I was like, you know, okay, no more needle romance. It was just like, I just try not to think about it, I guess. I don't know. But I could see how for Chris watching that video would be triggering. Right. Because I never, I never think about using again or anything, but, uh... Like, the image of the blood going in the thing, it's definitely triggering. Well, now, do, it doesn't make me want to use. It just, you know, that image. It's like a... I don't know how to describe it. Well, when when did you stop doing heroin? Um, I stopped doing heroin in 2013. Bravo. And what was the, what was the scenario? How did, it, how did it end? I got pregnant. Wow. It was twins. Right. And did you get super sick when you, when you quit? How did you come off of it? Well, okay. So I had just gotten out of rehab and, um, this rehab that I went to made me get this Vivitrol shot in my butt. Have you, do you know what that is? Yeah, I've had it. Oh my God. Is that not the worst thing in the world? I mean, it was bad for me because like. I, I, I was part of, like, a Vivitrol test group in the, oh, in the like, no. late 90s or something. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't know if I was going to get three months of Vivitrol, 30 days of Vivitrol, or a placebo. Uh-huh. And I got paid to take it. So as soon as I got home, I shot dope. How much did you get paid? I, don't, I think 100 bucks or something. 
Um, oh, wow. And I think when I got home, I spent the hundred bucks on dope, and then I <laughs> and then I found out that I had the Vivitrol in me. So I think every couple of weeks I tested it until I was at like twenty nine days, and and the dope worked. So like my Vivitrol experience was bullshit, basically. But I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing, and then I used meth because heroin wasn't working. Right. Hmm. And the so Vivitrol I mean, doesn't block the meth, right? No, it doesn't block the meth. It only blocks the heroin. But I still, I, I would test it like once a week, you know, to see if it had worn off yet. Right. And then around the same time, like 28, 29 days, it started working again. But then I got pregnant, like, I was, you know, very shortly thereafter. So this rehab made me get this Vivitrol shot to discharge me from the rehab. Mm. And it took like four nurses to hold me down. It was like this thick, spongy liquid, and it got clogged halfway through with like this giant syringe. It's like a cartoon syringe. It's not a normal syringe. <laughs> like a turkey baster kind of thing. <laughs> yes, it's giant, and the needle's really long, and it's like really thick, and the liquid is like weird and spongy, and it got clogged halfway through. Yeah. It was horrifying. I mean, all the other patients in there must have been like, are they amputating her leg? <laughs> like, what? Because I was freaking out. It was terrible. And I think it was really sad, too, because if it worked, I wouldn't be able to get high. Right. So the whole mixture of the thing was just terrible. So so as you got more pregnant, you didn't use again. So you, you basically got out of rehab, you did meth a couple times, and that was the end of it? Or what happened? Well, no, I did, I did meth a couple times, and then I, right as the Vivitrol started to wear off, I, um, I did heroin just a couple times when I found out I was pregnant. Okay. So, so I wasn't at the point where I was like, you know, I have to use every day or I'm going to get sick. Yeah. It was just, you know, a coincidence and timing that it worked out that way. And how did it work out that you got off drugs to raise your children, your girls? You know, I don't know, but something really switched in me when I got pregnant. Um, especially finding out I had twins. I mean, that was just like, what the French... I remember saying to the doctor, because I went in there and I was such a nervous wreck and I just felt like, you know, I could think of so many more people that would be more qualified to have babies than me. Oh. And then he told me that there was two of them. <laughs> and I was just like, this wow. is a fucking joke. Like, you're kidding me, right? You know, it was funny because I was so nervous that there was going to be something wrong. And the doctor like looks and he's like, oh, there's the heartbeat. And I see it on the monitor and I start crying. And then he was like. And there's a second heartbeat, and I just stopped crying. <laughs> then you got scared, right? I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> did he keep? Did he keep looking from another one? <laughs> oh, I don't know. At two, you're just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, my my daughter and my wife are obsessed with this show called Sex Tuplets, which is six. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, could you imagine having six heartbeats? It's like, here's no. another one, and here's another one. That would no. just, and you're on heroin and meth? Oh, my God. That would be just terrible, terrible, terrible. A lot of drug addicts are overachievers, so that makes sense that you would have to see <laughs> No, I feel like, I don't know, this isn't the same for everyone, but I feel like whatever maternal instinct I had must have been stronger than mine. Instinct mm. to be an addict, and that was mm. just lucky because it's the only thing that that snapped me out of it, you know. And you think? It, do you think it was the maternal instinct? I know for me, like when I had a kid, like I kept using for a little while, and it, but I, and I just hated the idea of being that kind of father. You know what I mean? Like I knew that I wouldn't be able to be 
who I wanted to be, but it, it, I don't think it was the paternal instinct as much as like, this is like the moment of truth, like where everything is done. Like, do you think it was, it was a maternal instinct well, for you? They're in her body. I think body. for sure yeah. it was a maternal instinct, but also the whole time I was pregnant, I went to therapy twice a week with an addiction specialist. And, um, you know, I was really scared. Like I had a healthy fear mm-hmm. of myself. Right. You know, I, I was scared for what was going to happen. I didn't want to use, but I was scared. And so I went to the therapist and I remember she's, I had an amazing therapist. She was so cool and so non-judgmental. And I remember telling her that I was worried about my own train of thought. And like the, I could see myself in the future being overwhelmed and thinking like, Oh, if I had an upper, you know, maybe I could get all this laundry done and stay up and do mm. my homework or something. You know, because that's just how you think. There's always, like, some fix to whatever feeling you're having. Right. And she was like, okay, well, if that ever happens, just immediately imagine Child Protective Services marching off with your babies. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, that jolted, that was... Yeah. It freaked me out so bad and it just stuck with me. that I, I don't think I've ever had to use that thought. Because once she said it, it was just like a you know a snap in my head. Mm, like right. I'm never gonna do that. I'm the, that's never gonna happen. You know. That's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. And um and what and and it's basically been a, a healthy fear slash what you've had to be for your daughters that's kept you clean. You would say. Well, yeah, and so definitely that. And I was by myself. It was just me and the twins yeah. until they were two. And then I met my fiance and he's going to adopt them oh. now. But I mean, for the first two years, it was just the three of us. So really like I really had to just be there and do it and handle it, you know? Yeah. I think that's amazing. And what are you in school for? And it gave me a purpose. I feel like that was a big part of me being such an addict is I had no fucking purpose at mm. all. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's not like only a purpose, it's like, it's more than a purpose. It's you need, you're the only, I mean, babies are so helpless, it's crazy. And you need to make sure those babies survive. And it, it, it yeah, it gave you a purpose and identity, all those things. It's still a big deal, though, because that being said, there's still plenty of mothers with babies that don't do what you did. Totally. I, mean, I know, yeah. I know. It's huge. And that's why I would never recommend that. Like, don't have a baby to cure your addiction, you know? <laughs> okay, I'll remember that. Thanks. <laughs> Probably won't work. That's funny. Do you think you're... Yeah, that's that's amazing and funny and sad. Because, like, you can say that the maternal instinct kicked in and how many people can say it didn't. It didn't, uh, yeah. You know, I wish it had kicked in. And that's a real story. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's, uh, yeah. it's hard, you know? Um, but uh, I'm glad it did for you, and I'm glad it did for your daughters and the fiancé and all the dopey fans that got to read your amazing piece. I will be, uh, I will be eternally grateful. What is your book going to be about? Is it going to be an addiction memoir? What are you going to write oh, about? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know that. I mean, he just reached out to me, like this book agent. So I haven't even called him back yet because I'm just kind of letting it all soak in. I, feel, I felt kind of excited and, like, frantic this morning. You know, so I'm trying to calm down a bit before I call him back. Yeah, I was at work. I mean, I got up early. I got up at five o'clock this morning to be on a six o'clock train. And I and I worked really early today. And uh, and I was constantly checking the vice thing. 
And then when it finally came in, I was like, wow, you know, I was like, I was flooded with endorphins, Mm. fear and excitement at the same time. And I'm sure you were too. So, well, I was sleeping and I woke up to you calling me and I answered the phone and I was like, hello. And you were like, you were so happy and enthusiastic. Mm. And I was like, oh, yay. (laughs) It was, it was a fun way to wake up for sure. All right. Like, yes. All right. If you ever need me to wake you up, just tell me the day and I'll, I'll call. <laughs> That's his side hustle. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Sell, I sell wake-up calls on the side, really positive wake-up calls. That's like that, that called, meme you posted the other day, the wake-up call, and it's the hotel. And she's like, I need a wake-up call. Hi, you're an alcoholic piece of shit. And he's yeah. like, thanks. I needed that. Yeah. That's, that, that was, was a, so funny. Yeah, I love that too. And I posted your big bird meme today. Which is like, it's like a picture of Darth Vader with stormtroopers and the Death Star with Big Bird. And it's like how you feel at work when you're the only person at recovery at your job. Which is, I thought it was very funny. I mean, that story of you dressed as Big Bird with like your bare human legs was so funny. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that, that was like such a ridiculous story. I don't, Brian never heard that story. I know, but I'm going to find it. It's, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous story. <laughs> Um, I can just see, like, on the side, like, with your big bird head, like, held and smoking a cigarette or something. Just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, uh, Brian, just so you know, I had I had big bird boots, uh-huh. you know, that went up to my knees, and then I had the big bird body, yeah. but between the body and the boots, it was just my bare legs. You know what I'm saying? Okay, and, that's enough. And, like, there was a hole in the neck where my head is, and I was high on heroin the whole time. And, like, so, and I couldn't breathe in the thing, but I was chain-smoking, so, I, yeah, I was constantly sitting on that's the side. That's a lot of effort for being high on heroin. Well, it was like, I thought that was an easy way to make money, which is so funny. <laughs> it could still work for you, Dave. Yeah, one day. One day I will, I will get a Big Bird costume again. But Emily, we're gonna get you on the show for, for real because I know you have to go to class. You have a what's your what's your what are you studying? Journalism. Ah, of so you're. Yes. I thought journalism is a dying dying sport. I mean, it's been pretty lively for me. I don't know. There you it seems go. Seems to have worked out. I was actually a business major, and then I started getting published, and I was like, man, I should just switch to journalism because I first was a journalism major, and then I think my mom at the time was like, that's like trying to be an actor. <laughs> so I, I was like, all right, and I switched to business, and then I started getting published. I was like, no, I can do this. Definitely. So I back. Well, you're doing it, and you wrote an amazing piece for Dopey. I think it's going to be a historic day <laughs> in the annals of the Dopey Nation for a long time. <laughs> Good. So Good. thank you. What a sweetheart. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, love having you, and we'll get you on again soon. Okay. Unless, I'll talk unless, to you later. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we get you off? Anything else they could read or know or anything? Anything you want to plug? Oh. Well, I have a few pieces on Vice that you guys can check out if you like. If you just look at the Dopey article and you click on my name, you can see uh, that I have two other pieces with them. And, um, yeah, look out for my book one day. We will, and I will totally promote it, and we'll have you on again before that happens, obviously. Okay, cool. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Emily. Thank you so much. Okay, toodles. Later. Well, there you go. What a doll. It's amazing, right? Yeah, no, it's amazing. Very sweet. Right. Yeah, I mean, those girls are so lucky. What are they, five? So she said she, 2013? Yeah. Oh, my God, I can't even imagine one five-year-old. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old and a five-month-old, and it's, um, it's heavy duty. <laughs> because the five-month-old makes the eight-year-old feel so much older. Because she's not like, 
she's not the baby anymore. Yeah, it's like yeah. physical evidence that she's not the baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's eight times her age at least. So that's. I know. Yeah. I know. Math is tough. But that's funny because it's not like when when the baby's ten, she's not going to be yeah. eighty. No. She's going to be so now eighteen. It's particularly painful. This is the this is the worst it's going to be probably. <laughs> so Brian just went on a trip. You went to France. I went to France. How was it? France was amazing. I, you know, I had I had lost a relationship with a Parisian. My my ex is from Paris, and I hadn't been back to Paris since. So I had anxiety about going. But I was going to celebrate uh, a family member who had a big event, um, <clears throat> and that got me there. And I, I ended up. It was interesting. I ended up having experience of. Um, you, th- you know, I was prepared for like a lot of pain. I didn't have pain. I had like tenderness. Where did you think the pain would be? Just, you know, like the visuals and... Because I didn't... That's not a relationship I wanted to end. And I lost it because of my addiction. So, and it was, you know... Everyone has, like, the one. He yeah. was there or not there? He's not there, but he's from there. So, so it was echoes of, of him yeah, and yeah, the and Paris we spent act. a lot of time there and... Blah, blah, romantic. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, yeah, that didn't happen, though. I got there and it was just like, oh, I'm glad I had that. It wasn't painful. It was shocking. Um, but I also... I was there with a lot of family and... <clears throat> I wanted to drink, and I, don't, that's ne- I never just have an instinct to drink. And if you guys didn't know, Brian, a.k.a. the crackhead lawyer, was a crack smoker. Crack. But, I mean, you know, the, you know they say in that, people say, you know, your drug of choice was, you know, well, what do you have? Right. Right. So it, it always started with crack, but, you know, it turned into anything. And I never, I mean, I was an alcoholic as at, like, 12 to 30, and then I started drugs. And I could care less about the alcohol once I started the drugs. But when I was in France, I was like... It's not just that they're drinking culture because they don't drink like in excess. It's not like walking down the street here and seeing people wasted that that's appealing. It, I don't know. It was just, it was intense. I was shocked. I was shocked by the urge. It was easy to not do it, obviously. So you had the craving. I just had, I just like, I was like, oh, I would love a drink. And I was like, damn it. What do you think it was, though? Do you think it was that everybody drinks? Do you think it was part of the sophistication think, of Paris? No, no, no. I think, I mean, no, I was, do, I was with family. I was celebrating a cousin's, you know, big event. So I had these feelings, you know, it was a lot of emotion and I was like, it was overwhelming. Right. I, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I just want it to be, you know, manageable. And right. It was, it was spiking. The feelings and I was like, and oh. you knew that would that would put it sort of Dolby yeah, on your I mean, feelings. I mean, it, it was funny because I was like, well, I'm going to go to Paris. I don't have to worry about crack, right? So I, on some on some level, I must have been thinking, yeah, I'm I'm fine from crack. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, beer, like, beer. Like I haven't wanted a beer since I was twelve. Right. It was crazy, but um, yeah, no, I survived. But the craziest thing to me is tell the story of when you were coming home. Oh, yeah. I went to the airport, and uh, I, I was one of the guys who was on Primera. So I show up at the airport, and I go to the guy. I go, where's the Primera gate? He goes, there is no Primera <laughs> gate as of, like, seven hours ago. So, yeah. no, I You'd like, think they'd send you some sort of email notification that the airline you flew in on went out of business. Well, they sent me the 24 hours before saying, you know, you better check in. And every time I checked in, the, the website didn't work. And I was like, well, that's fucked up. I'll just show up. I didn't even think to. I mean, who thinks their airline's going to go bankrupt? And I'm so, you know, if I had charged on a charge card, you know, like not paid it ahead because I'm sober now, I wanted to pay things off. So I paid it with my debit card. I'm not getting that money back. Wow. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it sucks. But that's another gift of sobriety that you could afford to no, lose right. the money. I, and I, yeah, 
Yeah. You know and, what I mean? It's yeah, like, no, you're right. I find myself spending God, money. Sunny side, Dave. Please, I'm certainly not. I know, you're, so, you're shocking me here. Well, like, whenever I spend <laughs> money, I like kill myself. I had to buy a dryer, yeah. you know, like a laundry dryer. And I was like, and it's like expensive. And like, there's all <laughs> these brands. And the, sale, the sales guy like sees me, it's just like, I turn into the lollipop on the stick. <laughs> it's like I'm just the biggest sucker you could ever see. We'll push you on all the bells and whistles. And no, no, no. I mean, that's the thing. He's talking to us. It's me and Linda, and he's talking yeah. to us thinking that it's going to be Bell and Whistle City. And Linda's like, what's that one? And it was like $300, and he goes, that's a hot point. And Linda's like, well, what's a hot point? And she's like, he's like, oh, GE makes it. It's like kind of their lesser thing. She's like, I think that's the one we want. Ding, 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 ding. But then, she, but then she, they roped us in on like the five-year service deal and well, all that's that stuff. Pro- you'll probably be glad for that. Well, it's already fucking broken. See, we're talking about appliances. Yes. Yeah, that's a crazy... That's thing. a gift of sobriety. Yeah, talk- is it? Yeah, talking about appliances. Is it a gift of sobriety? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gift that's not been wrapped. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fucking... Brian has this amazing. Uh, Brian's an amazing uh, photographer, an iPhone photographer. As is Dave. Do you uh, do you ever shoot with a real camera or no? No, I tr- you know, yeah no I tried to I tried to yeah but I tried to shoot with a camera. It's too many buttons. I actually got my camera stolen when I was in a relapse. I had somebody in my apartment and chased him out of my whatever. That's a bad story. What's the story? Chased him. I chased him out of my apartment. Who down, was he? Oh, I don't know. Somebody I'd met at. Some dude is in your house. Yes, brought him back to my place. All of a sudden, he's like, "I got You brought him back. Well, ish, yeah. Or to do drugs, both, or both. both. Okay. So then, all of a sudden, he's like, "Oh, I gotta go." And I'm like, "Okay, that was weird." So he's leaving, and I look, and I was like, "Where's my fucking camera?" Wow. So I chase out. He's getting on a bus because who leaves a, a who leaves a binge on a bus, right? Well, what what is it? What is the? Why do you think he did now? It's not like he's making a quick getaway with well, your camera on was, the bus. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you think it was a, he was a desperate person to begin with. He's like having to leave a binge on a bus. Do you know what I mean? Well, what do you, I mean, as opposed to in a taxi yeah. or something? Yeah. Right. Well, obviously. Yeah. So. Um, that's funny, though. With stolen camera on the, but you could have yeah. like probably taken a cab and said, follow that bus, gotten your camera back yeah, somehow. Yeah, I saw that movie. It doesn't end Yeah, well. it does, Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so I don't, I, you know, I think, I don't know, I'd like to get a camera, they're supposed to be getting easier, but these, you know, these iPhones are fine for me. For but my point, my point was, I had a point, with your <laughs> Facebook thing, after that happened, like I follow Brian's Facebook religiously, and after that happened, some woman writes, oh, you're stuck in France, better get a bottle of wine yeah. and chill out. And like, and, and then I just, you give me this what smirking or like a yeah a little like a, smirking emoji. And I was like, oh Jesus! Now I gotta write him on my messenger, tell him this is somebody from twenty years ago that I used to get shit faced with. Who he has didn't no ha- idea. He didn't have to. I just think that's a real funny moment, like especially where where alcoholism, sobriety, and yeah. social media yeah. mix without anybody knowing anything. Well, it's funny because you know, like ninety nine percent of the people in my world, on especially that I'm connected with. No, this happens to be the one that she's... So everyone's watching her say, you need to drink, you know? It was like, okay. It would have been amazing if it was some old crack smoking buddy who's yeah, like, right? time to smoke some crack. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, like, he wouldn't have been suggesting I get red wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I had this very um, crazy story happen to me uh, over the weekend, and it, like, it might have been a relapse, actually. I don't think it was a relapse. It wasn't a relapse. It wasn't a relapse, but it was like kind of relapsy. 
And does, it, does it have to do with the dryer? Is this as a consequence? No, of the this part? was okay. this was not having anything to do with the dryer. <laughs> the dryer, the dryer is fucked up. Like it smells like gas in our house. It's like we've had to have like parts shipped in, and the national grid people had to come in to check if Jesus. like there's gas in the house. It's, it's fucking whole brave new world. But there's no gas. The dryer's working now. Everything is okay. But um, I have been working like a lot and really late and waking up really early and not sleeping as much as the baby, not sleeping as much as I'd like. And, uh, I found myself really run down on Saturday yeah. and, um, on the weekends I wait tables like, like 11 hours a day, 12 hours, 10 hours, like long, long days. And I get in there on Saturday and, and, and also my friend's father had just died. Yeah. So I went to my friend's house the night before and I stayed out late. So I went to bed at two, woke up at six and I got to work at nine to work till nine. Yeah. So that's like a few hours sleep on a nine to nine shift where I was only sleeping four hours a day. And um, I was dragging my ass around and I was like, this is going to be a long, terrible day. Yeah. And uh, the meat cutter was like, oh, well, I was really tired the other day. And I, I, you saw how fast I was. And I was like, you were fast. He's usually pretty slow. I was like, you did a pretty good job that day. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Manny in the back. And I was like, yeah, I know Manny. <laughs> and he's like, well, Manny has this energy drink that he's selling. And I, and I should have just said, oh, that's interesting. But I said, really? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, what kind of an energy drink is it? And he said, I don't know. He uses it to work out. And I said, oh. And so um, he said, it's Japanese. <laughs> and he uses it to work out. So I went to the back to Manny. And Manny is this Dominican kid from Williamsburg who lost... 150 pounds in the past, uh, you know, 18 months or something. And he's become this workout, workout, workout guy. Like, he's totally changed his life. Yeah. You know, and a lot of guys where I work are really like crazy gym rats. And they take these pre-workout concoctions uh -huh. that they sell at GNC yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever. And Manny's like, oh, yeah, I got this fire new pre-workout thing. And uh, he goes, it's 80% caffeine. And I was like, what's the rest of it? <laughs> and he was like, and he, it was all this like workout shit, you know, yeah, yeah. beta Great block. Team. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gives it to me and I, and I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have drank it. You know, like. Well, was it in like a sealed bottle or was it something in no, like a me jar a that he, he gave me a, He gave me a cup. A oh. <laughs> but he's like a very innocent kid. Like the, he, that kid never has, he's never done drugs. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? He's yeah. probably a stoner, but like. Coke would scare the shit out got of him. It, like, it. he's just, he's also sweet and young and, like, the other guy also, like, just not drug people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I have a bunch of buddies who take pre-workout stuff and take, like, high dosages of caffeine, and I never fuck with anything like that. But I was just like, all right. And I drank the stuff. And within 15 minutes, I was bursting with energy. Oh, man. And then, and I'm like... I'm not dragging my ass anymore. I'm everywhere <laughs> at once in the store. And then I start feeling my teeth in my <laughs> mouth. And I'm like, this feels like fucking Coke. Yeah. I was like, I feel my teeth in my mouth oh, like man. it's Coke. And then I was like, oh, my God. Uh, and I went to Manny. I was like, what the fuck was that? And he goes, oh, it's this. He told me again. It was Japanese pre-workout. I go, there's no Coke in that. He's like, no. He's like, starts yelling at me. And then I, I keep working. And I'm like... On one hand, like with the customers, I'm super funny. Yeah. I'm super charming. Yeah. I'm on time with anything. I'm making money. Like 
I basically broke a record that day, and it was like bizarre. Um, but then, as the shift grew longer, yeah. I like started to feel like feel, I felt like it was like ephedrine. You ever did ephedrine? Yeah. Like I, when I was in college, me and my friend Todd. No dose. Like that, but they would sell it just called ephedrine in Ithaca, in Ithaca, New York. We would buy it all the time, and it would make you feel that fast thing. It was like a bronchial dilator. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's like, like trucker speed that was designed to like open up your lungs, and um, and it made you feel lonely. Like you get high, and then in the middle of the feeling high, you get this lonely feeling. And I'm sitting there at work, and I'm like, it hit me like that weird. Do you know that speedy, lonely thing? Yeah, I'm a little familiar with that. <laughs> right? Isn't that yeah, a thing? More than a little. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I was like, ugh. And then like I don't know, four hours go by. Like the first rush is over, and I haven't eaten anything. And I'm like, I could see why people would lose weight with this thing. Um, and then I just felt sad. And then this other dude comes in who's this crazy workout guy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and he, now he's this big stoner. And I asked him, I was like, have you ever taken this stuff? He's like, dude, I used to live on that stuff. <laughs> and he's another, like, super, like, innocent young yeah. man. And, uh, and I was like, and, and the thing about it was not only did I feel lonely and sad and I felt the benefits of the speed and I felt the, yeah. you know, I was charming and fast and all those funny and all those good things. Uh, all of a sudden I felt that other thing in me, which said, I need to come down, you know, like Uh. I want to, the first thought was, you know, if I took uh, a Xanax, I'd feel really good right now, you know? Oh yeah. And then, and then the next thought was, you know, really, I would just like to smoke a little bud. If I smoked some bud after this, I would feel right. And then I was like, well, what if I shot dope? And it was just thoughts, you know what I mean? I wasn't going to go do it, but like. I could just see how easily that that something like this could take somebody out, you know. Um, And then when my other friend came in and I started telling him how I felt, he was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, he's like this pseudo intellectual (laughs) kind of guy. And he's like, he's like, oh, I never even thought of it that way. And he goes, oh, but have you eaten anything? And I was like, no. And he goes, you're an idiot. You know, and and then I ate a plate of like food and I felt much better. But it was like kind of relapsy story. Well, I mean, that's that's my story. You know, I have a ton of relapse in my story, but and it's always when I look at it, it's always it's that easy halt bullshit. It's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Like you showed up exhausted, <laughs> and that's when I get in trouble. I don't if I'm sleeping and eating properly and exercising, I don't. It doesn't get. I, I don't get in trouble. You know. Good night's sleep is like like the greatest oh chance of not relapsing ever. And a things- Snickers, no lie. Maybe they should sponsor you. Are you eating Snickers? No, I don't eat. I just bought you an M M&M and M cookie. So why are you plugging Snickers and not M M&M and M cookies? Because I guess M and M's not going to sponsor you. Snickers might. Uh, Snickers isn't going to sponsor <laughs> us, but we could really use a sponsor. I mean, that's something that we could really use. And another thing, that- everyone needs a sponsor, Dave. How do you have a sponsor these days? Yeah, I do. Is it the same sponsor? Um, I don't. I don't. This one lives upstate. No, so yeah, yeah. I think it is the same one. I know who it is. It is. He has the same name as a famous black comedian in the nineties. <laughs> no. No. No, you don't know who it is. Oh well. That's too <laughs> Who's bad. that? Martin. Oh no no no. That's no not no. anymore. Martin. 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 Um. So I have an idea here. Yeah. We're gonna do this thing. Um, I got an email and I got a voicemail, and uh, I think I'm gonna start with the voicemail. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hold on. 
Yo, what's happening, Dopey Nation? Dave. Um, I guess as a... As to show my appreciation for all the support that Dave's been giving me, um, you know, through Messenger, helping me out through my situation, I, I recently went back out and uh, fried my brain for about two weeks. I'm back at work now. Uh, been clean for probably about five or six days. You know, I'm slowly, my brain's coming back. Uh, but to show appreciation, I got this anniversary coming up. It's an anniversary on October 31st. It'll be the 11th year anniversary that I haven't smoked crack or done cocaine in any form. So I guess I'll tell you about that. Now, I had relapsed. I had been in this program um, for about six months. And it was a, it was a, it was called the job company. And basically, what you do is you you go every day to work, and then you go to several meetings a week. And um, after six months, you graduate the program, you move out, and you just move on with your life. And I had gotten a pretty good support system. I had a person, and um, me and this guy, we one of my friends, we got this place, and we filled it up with furniture, and we went out, and we went to, of course. He wasn't really working a program, and uh, he wanted to go to Hooters and celebrate the fact that we had gotten this place. So the story really isn't about what happened that night. That night, we pretty much went on a full relapse. Uh, We went to Hooters, then we went to a strip club and got several, several lab dances uh, at the Gold Club. And when we got back in my car, he's like, "Uh, where do you buy crack at? So... And I'm thinking, man. So I ended up showing him where where I bought crack. And we go on this binge. That that specific night, we probably spent about six, seven hundred dollars smoking crack and you know, uh, messing with what, what do you call it, Dave? Uh, ladies of the night or <laughs> ladies of the evening, prostitutes. Anyways, <laughs> so we spent probably six, seven hundred dollars that night. Now, we had just signed this lease agreement, moved in this house, and I'm in full relapse mode. We're both graduating this program in about a week, but we've already got the place that we're living at. Um, And I go in full relapse mode. So I run out of money, and I stop going to work within probably about three or four days. You know, because with me... Smoking crack was was a process of binging, getting sober, rebuilding my life, and then in a matter of a week, losing everything and starting all over. It was very demoralizing. It was very, it's very hard on the soul, man. It really does. It takes a piece of your soul when you do that. Um, so... Steven came home, which is which is the guy that I, I moved in this place with, and uh, I didn't have any money left. So I stole his credit card. And now that night we had been out to the strip clubs, he gave me his PIN number, which was a mistake because I still knew it. So he was in the shower. I took his debit card down and and took out like, I don't know, I took like $300 out. And, and then the next day I took another $300 out. But while he was at work two days later, I went to this crack house and I was smoking crack. Now, usually when I'm when I'm solicited by these ladies of the evening, 
or ladies of the night. I usually tell them I'm gay just so they leave me alone because when I'm smoking dope, I just want to smoke dope. Just leave me alone. Let me smoke my dope. But this particular day, this chick, this this white girl, she come and she sat right down on my lap. She's a very pretty girl. And she uh, pulled out this rag and she started wiping the sweat off my forehead. And she said, sweetheart, I got a better place to... Uh, to go to where it just be me and you so i'm thinking hell yeah let's go so we go to her house and when we when we step in the house she's got one of these big mitsubishi tvs you know one that's as big as the fucking wall and she hits the power button and it's this porno she's already got porno playing on there now she picks up this pillow on the couch and when she picks up this pillow. She's got this big, huge, pink fucking dildo under the pillow. And uh, then she starts playing with herself, which I don't know if I can get too crazy about the details on that. So she's telling me if I want to do anything with her, I've got a, I've got a shower. So she commences to taking me into the bathroom, makes me strip down, and makes me wash all my body parts. So when I get out of the shower, she tells me, she's like, she's like, look. My old man, he's about to be home. He's about to be home. We cannot be here. Let's go get a hotel. So I'm, I'm like, okay, let's go get a hotel. We get in my car. We go down and get the hotel. And uh, when we get to the hotel, I'm, you know, I've got this big old fucking piece of crack that I'm hitting on. And she says, look, I left my crack pipe at home. I got to go get it before my old man comes home because if he finds it, he'll go crazy. So I didn't want to leave because I was pretty much down. I was down to my underwear already, my whitey tidies. I was wearing a, a pair of whitey tidies, and uh, so I threw her my keys. I said, "Here, go ahead, go go get what you got to get." And uh, so she leaves, which she's only really she's only about a mile down the street. So I'm thinking she'll be right back. Well, after about ten minutes, I start getting nervous. I'm like, "Damn, she's got my car. Where's she at? Where's she at?" I'm walking back and forth to the window. You know, trying to see if she's pulling up. Finally, I look outside and she's pulling up. So I'm happy. I'm like, yeah, man, hell yeah, I'm high. She's back. We're about to do the do. I'm in my underwear. I'm hitting crack. So I walk over to the door. I unlock the door. Okay. Turn around. Go to the bed. When I go to the bed, I pick up my pipe and I take this just omega hit. I'm talking about a huge hit. Hold it in, and when I turn around, Baton Rouge PD is standing in the doorway looking straight at me all right so i get <laughs> i'm freaking out i when i let out this puff of smoke this puff of smoke the 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 space between me and him the smoke covers every every bit of the space and so he he fucking waves the smoke out of his face and says put the crack pipe on the bed turn around so i'm in my underwear I just hit this big old blast, and I'm off. I'm off in Jupiter somewhere, and I'm about to be arrested. So the officer handcuffs me, brings me out into the hotel parking lot in my whitey tidies. That's all I had on me. Okay, so come to find out, she got pulled over in my car, and they was wondering. You know, she, they know her from the neighborhood, so they're like, we know you don't have a car. Whose car is this? She tells them, oh, it's this guy's car. I'll take you to him. So they were just coming to confirm that it was my car. Instead, they walked in on me in my underwear smoking crack. So I went to jail that night for possession. And, um, yeah. <laughs>
And um, that's the last night I smoked crack. It was October 31st, 2007. I haven't touched cocaine in any form since. Don't plan to. Um, and I'm not that I really... I hope nothing like that happens again because it's uh, a hard lesson to learn and it's very embarrassing when you go to jail in your underwear. So anyways, I just wanted to hit him with the dopey. Uh, that's my whitey tidy story, Dave. Appreciate all the help, man. Um, much love to you, Dopey Nation. Stay strong. There he is, Jeremy Turner. What do you think? I've never heard it. I've only heard a tidy whitey. I know. I've never heard whitey tidy. I think down south it's whitey tidy. I you know I'm, I lived in Dallas, but Baton Rouge is a whole other world apparently. There's tidy whitey. It's whitey tidies. Yeah. It's interesting because I felt the same way. Yeah. But anybody else in the south, please let us know. <laughs> whitey tidies, tidy whiteys. <laughs> and Brian was a terrible crack smoker, terrible relapser. Oh, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Um, when's the last time you smoked crack? Oh, it's been. Almost a year since I've smoked crack. And how are you doing? Great. How, so you feel, you haven't rela- What's the relapse situation like? Solid. I'm good right now. Today. Yeah, we have no, today. I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. I am. It's. Um, I believe you. No, I know. I don't <laughs> think you're challenging me. I'm trying to think what it was like to listen to that because it's it's that's that's how it is. I mean, I wasn't ending up at Hooters, and I wasn't... Was he at Hooters? Yeah, he said he started... Well, that was one of the... It was in there. It was Hooters and uh, Hookers and and Police. And what, what would your mix be? What would the... Not Hooters. No, it would no. be what? Uh, well, you know, it always started for me just going to some place that I know that, you know, there's... In New York, there's a lot of uh, people that do it all the time. Right. And, uh, I'm sure in Baton Rouge there are, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But there were people I knew that were always doing it, like... Specifically, that were you know, round the clock. Night. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Would always start there, you know. And I was king of the one day deal. It was never like I would disappear for months. I would do it one day, and it was it was basically when he talked about you know ha- he said that at the beginning he, he would have a binge, and then build it up, and then binge, and then build it. So that's a. So a, that was all because I remember when I got clean, Brian was uh, one of the most generous people and kindest people in that meeting that we would go to, mm-hmm. but you would you would suffer relapses here and there, you know, during during that my initial coming in, and I would, you know, but it was always a one day thing. Yep. So that must have been very frustrating. Well, yeah, I mean, for, yeah. Because you build up all this time. Well, I said it, you know, when we talked when I did my little thing, you know, I th- I saw people with much cuter relapse, I mean, much cuter uh, sobriety that, that I was like, damn. And, you know, they end up dead. So, I don't, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to say luck because it ain't luck, but I'm, I, being that close to relapse for that long and having that be part of my story, I didn't, like, get five years and then stop going to meetings. I've been going to meetings nonstop since I came in in 2001. Like, nonstop. Always doing sponsors, always going at it. I don't know how, but be, uh, people need other people to keep it fresh for them. I was keeping it fresh for myself. Totally. Um, yeah, and I, you know, whatever. It's, everyone's got their own story. If anyone has a relapse, they talk to me about it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the guy that they talk to. Well, you're an incredible resource for it. You know, and you, and yeah. you can be, I mean, it's like I got an email the other day. I'm just going to read it because it's just interesting to me. I got an email from this lady who said, um, let me see if I can find it. She wrote me, um, she said, hold on, sorry, 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 sorry. 
She said she she heard me on this other podcast. Uh, it's a podcast called the Share Podcast, and it's a recovery podcast. She said I, I sent you an email via your webpage. Not sure you received it. You did a great job with your interview on Share. Thanks again. You know, and I was like, cool. And I said, are you an addict? And she said, yes. Mm-hmm. However, my addiction is to alcohol and Adderall. I was sober for two years and recently started drinking again. With no great surprise, Adderall worked its way back into my life. My husband found out. Uh, last week, I'm struggling to get back on track. I need to go back to meetings, but I'm dragging my feet. And I said, great, blah, blah, blah. And she says, I said, I recommend going back to a meeting. Things will settle back into place. You'll you'll be thinking the way you used to think. It'll be easier. At least remember what you need to do. And she said, I know you're right. I live in Indiana. I didn't feel like I related to many people in the rooms. I do have my family in a good job. I don't have a lot of time to devote to the rooms. My girls are extremely active in school and sports. My addiction is not killing me. It's just making me miserable. I'm not saying it won't kill me. I know all you hear are excuses. I will go back. I just don't want to be new again. My addiction is a secret from almost everyone, just like you and Chris. I want to stay... I mean, everybody knows about my addiction. I just don't let them know about Dopey for some reason. Anyway, I want to stay anonymous due to my career and kids. I know I'm not special or unique, but I'm not the person you would think that has an addiction problem. I'm completely embarrassed and feel like such a loser. While my daughter's friend's parents are at the country club, their mom is at an AA meeting. I know this is egotistical and shallow, but that's honestly how I feel. And I said, this is the best thing I've ever written anybody. I said, I hear you, but fuck that shit. Go to an AA meeting so you can go to the country club or whatever later. Get the help you need and then help the next guy. You're a million times better for it. I don't think you're egotistical or shallow. I think you don't want to stop using and drinking and coming up with whatever excuse is easiest. But it's like people go through that where they like don't want to show. I mean, I, I really don't think that they're embarrassed as much as they don't want to stop drinking. Well, yeah. I mean, no... You will use anything not to go, but, uh, you know, I was desperate when I came in the first time. Like, I knew there was nothing... I didn't have any other options. Do you know what I'm saying? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It takes what it takes what it takes. She'll get get there. Hopefully. Yeah, you either... You know, I was in. I went to a meeting in uh, Paris. It was an English-speaking meeting, and I heard something I'd never heard. You know, they say jails, institutions, whatever. Right. I heard it as um. You may have heard this: covered up, sobered up, or jails and or locked up. Covered up, sobered up, or locked up. What's covered up? Underground, dude. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it different in France? French? Uh, They didn't say it in French. It was an English-speaking meeting. Why did it go to a French-speaking meeting? You don't speak French? I do, but I'm un petit peu. Yeah. Um, do you have to go? Can you stick around for this last thing? Yeah, yeah. All right, this guy might be long-winded, though. There's a loyal story here. No, they're not going to go, because I'm not going to go back to work. Do you hate me for that, Dave? Uh, Brian, I couldn't hate you for anything. Oh. I'm so happy you came. I'm so... T- you know, can I just say, I listened to, uh, to the podcast that I did. I'm getting emotional. Good. Cry. I could make the show, <laughs> I could make the show better. <laughs> You know, and I, I didn't listen to it when it first came out because I was like, ugh. You know, you have this, like, it's that share shame, right? When you're in a room, but in, you're not in a room, you're, like, in the internet. And I was like, I'm not ready to listen to it. And I didn't listen to it for a long time, and then I did listen to it. And after I hung up, Chris said something about, seems like a really good guy, deserves it. You know, I was just thinking about that today. Like, he was such a sweet kid. Yeah. I mean, I never met him, but the way he talked about wanting 
me to have it after I shared my story when I was in on the line. I mean, that's that to me is recovery. Like that's, I get that he had a relapse, but he had sobriety too. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's so tough. It's so tough. And heartbreaking. I mean, obviously he was done his work. What he needed to do here was done with. That's just my, that's how I hold the world. He was done doing what he needed to do. But um, I don't, it's just tough because it's the most tender, amazing, generous people. You know, I, you know, people talk about you're born and some people get sunburned. I think a lot of alcoholics I know are, get emotionally sunburned. They're like more sensitive and they f- just feel everything. And that's what I felt with Chris. He was, I think it's hard for a lot of addicts to be in the world because they feel everything. Yeah. Yeah. He also like had a great game face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he acted like nothing bothered him. Yeah. You know, like, literally, like, nothing got to this guy. Um, which is, like, half the show is me just insulting him. Like, that was half of the show. Yeah, but your, your insults don't cut very deep. No. Um, <laughs> but he, I think, I mean, listen, you try to make sense over your friend's death, and, and, and you can't. You know, I, I like to pretend that I knew what he was thinking about or how he lived. In, in, my, in my mind, Chris loved to get away with stuff, like, yeah. more than anything. Yeah. And in the end, he loved the double life more than anything. And, like, but it was like a tidal wave. And, and at first, he, he just forgot what it was. Yeah. He, he, like, I also think... And it's funny because I remember, like, when I learned about the promises at our meeting, yeah. I, like, never, I never even knew about them. Like, yeah. I never, because I, I always went to NA, I never knew about them. Mm. And then I was like, I was like, wow, you could get that. And the promises did come true for me. And, yeah. I, and it's like, I know they came true for him. And I can imagine this for me, having the promises come true and then thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to get high and have the promises come true? And, and I feel like that's what, what he wanted. And I feel like then he had it for a second, mm. and he had a few weeks where it was like good, yeah. and then all of a sudden he was chasing it, and and it, and you know he was a total slave to it, and it killed him because the stuff he was using was heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, you know, yeah, like yeah. meth. You know, he did everything, you know, and he shot everything, and he also like lived to keep the secret, and he had this ego that, um, I mean, there was an episode of Dopey where. Um, I just wanted the episode to be about regret mm. and our character defects. You know, what are your regrets and what are your defects? Mm-hmm. And Chris said, I have no regrets and my only character ego, a defect is pride and ego. Um, and in the end, he said he did have regrets. He regretted that his parents spent so much money on his treatment, that he hurt his family, that he hurt his friends. Yeah. But his first reaction is... Like, he's, like, Mr. Tough Guy. Like, which is, like, Chris was cool as hell. Like, he would really, like, he could really pull it off. Like, that he didn't give a shit. Like, and it was, like, he's also, like, literally, like, uh, like a blank slate. Like, he didn't know, like, that Eric Clapton was in a band. Like, he didn't know that Cream existed. He didn't, he didn't know anything about, I mean, that's a very specific one. Yeah. But he didn't know about a lot of, like, normal stuff. It just, he didn't know about this stuff, and which, which made him so charming. And then, like, it also was, like, a way for him to act really smart and really stupid at the same time. Yeah. It was, like, this great strategy he had. 
It's yeah. too bad you couldn't have met him in person. You would have gotten kicked yeah, out. Yeah, no, but I was touched. I was really touched by, I, I, I don't. I, I was touched. I was touched when I heard him because it felt sincere. I, you know, when you hear somebody else's like horror story, you can hear your own horror story and and, and hold it a certain way. And I don't know. I was moved. I was moved by his. Um, he wanted me to stay sober. You know. And we genuinely want that, you know. We really want that for people that are, like, suffering. And you and it, and it's partially because I think, because we want it for ourselves, and we want, and it's all of us have been through this thing. So let's keep going. Yeah. You know, like that's how I feel about yeah. it. Like whenever I, I meet somebody who's struggling, I like I push recovery so hard, yeah. harder than I should, you know, um, because I want everyone to make it. Yeah. And I want it to be this amazing situation like and it's not I want my situation to be true for everybody yep. which isn't necessarily baby house blah 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 but it's like I'm clean I'm happy I don't want to use yep. I don't want anyone to use because like yeah. not because I would feel left out if they did but because I want us all to be in it together yep. do you know what I mean yeah but thank you for coming down oh my gosh did you have fun uh, yeah it was alright yeah no it was great was You're- it triggering <laughs> no but uh, no actually yeah I'm gonna say yeah that kid's story, blowing smoke, yeah, in his tidy whities in a hotel room, yeah. Shouldn't have played whitey it. <laughs> his whitey tidies. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. You couldn't talk like that in a meeting. You couldn't? No, fuck no. Maybe in a different fellowship you could. Uh, CM, I've been to CMA meetings just to because they have a lot of relapse. It was a place I went to for a while. Right. And they wouldn't let you talk like that. What does CMA stand for? Crystal Meth Anonymous. Say stay strong, dopey nation, and stay toodles. S- seriously, stay strong, dopey nation. I have to say toodles. No, you don't. But Chris right. always said toodles. Oh, that was Chris's thing. You don't have to say toodles. Toodles, toodles. You don't have to say. I said it. You don't have to say it. Um, you think you'll do it again, or is this too much for you? Yeah, I'll do it again. You'll come back sometime. Yeah, will you have me back? I just said, would you do it again? Of course, I'd have you back. Yeah, but you just may want to know if I want to do it again. That's possible. <laughs> no, I do want you to come back. Yeah, no, I would definitely come back. Right on. I'd do anything for you, Dave. Thank you, Brian. I He's wearing a way. clam power T-shirt and has a clam with eyes on it. It's, it's actually was disturbing. You don't like it? I, it's just disturbing. It's a clam looking at me the whole time. There's a clamor that lives next to my father-in-law, and he sells clam power shirts and stickers. Yeah, I, I used to go clamming. I'm from New Hampshire. Really? Where yeah. are you from? New Hampshire, well, Manchester, yeah. Nice. You don't have that good New Hampshire accent. Yeah, get out of there. Can you do it? No. Not at all? No. You can't say one phrase with a deep New Hampshire Wicked. accent? Wicked, man. That's terrible. You can't yeah, do- it's, been a, it's been 40 years. Give me a break. I, w- I wish... <laughs> going up the Daniel Webster Highway. What do they to say? The Kankamanka's Highway to, to pass Lake Winnipesaukee. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You ever go to Weir's Beach? Of course I went to Weir's Beach. Nice. <laughs> all right, Brian, get out of here. All right. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you, too. So we're not doing the final call of the show, but my dad, who always wants to come in and say something, this is here. Here, I, I didn't want to come in and say. And of course, now I'm on my knees because there's no chair. You here. you took the chair. The, the chair. You took the chair. The chair is broken now. Uh, that was my fault. Though. So you're gonna say Brian broke the no, chair? No, no, it was really my fault. I should have moved it out of the way before. All right, so isn't it over? Don't you have to catch a train? Come on. I do, but do you have anything we want to share with anybody? I uh, hope everybody stays very, very, very healthy. Please, please stay healthy. And I think that's the whole point of maybe this show, which it should be the whole point for you guys to stay healthy. That is not the point of the show. <laughs> well, and and for him to make fun of things. 
Oh, did you talk about any wars or... or, or the, the feud, right now, Vice has done a great thing for us. They did. Oh, good. Wouldn't you say? Why, you didn't really like, you didn't really like the Vice article? No, it was, it was well written. It was just one comment about murdering in hospitals that I didn't understand. But I think that was your, your fault. So this is your moment, Dad. Every, every week you have something to say about the show unless you're on the show. So you're on the show now. What do you have to add to the show? I, I, I like the fact that you're helping people. Yes, I really do. I think that's great. That was never the point of the show. Well, you know, it turns the, out that something good happens. That's even better than whatever the point of the show was. Here, read. Um, read. Uh, here, read this one. Uh, just listen to. No, this this one. Oh, start here. Oh, I'm out. By one star, terrible. By K A B T L R, whatever that is. Just listen to my last episode. The decline started with Teen Mom. Yes. So what's that all about? That's a one-star review. Yeah. Here, read this one. Uh, I guess you here, this one. that guy. I <laughs> uh, love this. I love that we can find... Read who it's by. Elaine the Pain. Good grief. I love we can finally laugh again now that we are in recovery. I love laughing at my crazy self and crazy dope stories. It's my favorite part of working a program. Rule number 62, whatever that is. Thank you for being a part of my recovery. Okay, very nice. Dad, do you have anything interesting to say? Uh, no, I don't have any interesting to say. I just hope that you guys continue and do your thing and stay well and uh, toodles. All right. Well, if you guys, I appreciate everybody who listens, and thank you, Dad, for coming in at the end with nothing. That was great. Um, just uh, thanks, everybody, for being a part of the show. Thanks, Emily, for doing the thing. Thanks, Brian, for coming down. Uh, leave a review. Write us an v- email. Send in a voicemail. Um, tell us your clean time. Joey Pepper, if you're still listening, where, where you been? Fucking Cormac, I think you're supposed to deliver a song. Uh, Dopey Nation, be a part of the show. Send in bits, send in songs, send in prank calls, send in anything, send in emails, send in notes. Uh, Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Reddit. Jesus Christ, it's so much fucking work to stay on top of all that crap. But uh, I hope you guys are good. Thank you for listening. Stay strong and toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desires all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And 
my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, 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 and these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had.